Lights. Marker. Action. And welcome all to the group. This is Group Film, featuring your hosts, Stephen, Andy, and Brian. And today, have we got a treat for you. For it's a dish best served cold, I think. Or maybe a little warm. Why did you introduce me first as the host? Wait. You're the host now. Oh, no. It's We're all hosts. It doesn't really... It doesn't matter who gets introduced first. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, but y- you left yourself for last. It's like <laughs> this whole modesty thing that annoys me about you. Who's the host with the most, though? Uh, you? The host with the most? Okay. Are you the host yeah. with the most? I, I guess think, so. I think you are. Okay. So, this is Group Film with your hosts, um, Andy, the host with the most, Steven, and myself, Brian. Is that okay? I'll accept it. <laughs> hey, guys. Good to be back. <laughs> oh, my God. And today... The dish best served cold, revenge, because we will be discussing the 2002 adventure slash romance film, The Count of Monte Cristo. I guess it is a romance film. I and didn't think of it like that, but it is. In a way. Yeah. I think there's an element of romance. It's not a romantic film at all. Yeah, it's kind of a messed up it's romance. A, it's a adventure slash drama. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves. Before we fully... Uh, get into our movie discussion for the episode. We're going to take a few minutes with a uh, with the segment that we've designated to discuss some current events. So basically, uh, we're going to turn this segment over to Andy, who is going to take a few minutes to share a recent movie headline with us, and we'll just discuss it for a couple of minutes. Okay, is that okay with y'all? Sounds good. No one's going to veto this, or what's up in Hollywood, Andy? Okay, let's, okay, let's go. So, earlier this week, this is a rumor that's been around for a couple months, but it was more of a a fan desire, um, and it it became more of a tangible rumor earlier this week that Robert Downey Jr. is going to be back for the next two Avengers films, Secret Wars and Secret Invasion, maybe? Oh, no, Armor Wars. Armor Wars. Armor Armor Wars Wars and uh, Secret Wars, yeah. So that's really like monumental news for a couple reasons. For fan service, it's huge. Um, for Robert Downey Jr.'s wallet, it's also huge. Do <laughs> you think he's going to get paid the same amount, fifty million? He's going to get, get paid. paid more. Wow! I think he'll get more because it's a draw. You know, it gets people in in seats just to see him. At that point, is he the highest paid actor of all time? Is he? N- who else has made fifty million? And now he's about to make more? Hmm. I think he is. For a single movie, I, that's that's tough to say. I think Will Smith could have gotten his... Worked his way up to $50 million, but he never got there. No, because that, that's that's kind of hard to say. Because part of the $50 million that he got from one of the Avengers movies, and I think subsequent Avengers movies, was because he got a piece of the action. So the better the movie performed the more money he got. So he got a flat fee plus points, you know, from the deal. Mm-hmm. And there have been instances of that. If I'm not mistaken, 1989 Batman, Jack Nicholson, his deal mm-hmm. was set up the same way. Mm-hmm. So it, it'd be kind of hard to tell. Uh, that'd be a good question for a future pod, like random trivia. But anyway, going back to this movie um, and the potential for it, that changes, I think, in my opinion, like the dynamic of Hollywood. All these people, the the super snobby, you know, um, uh, Scorsese doesn't like superhero movies, and there's a whole bunch of you know directors. Tarantino kind of, kind of came out against it the other day. That really swings the power, the balance of power, back towards the comic book movies, you know, because this Phase Four of Marvel, there's been this decline in quality, 
mm-hmm. and it just really gives you like a sense of confidence that if Downey Jr. is back, then these things are going to be awesome, and they're going to make you know two billion dollars. We and hope so. It's mm-hmm. going to start a whole new wave of comic book love. So we're we're all in favor of this, then, are we? Because there's the the type of thinking that you know what phase four well like these new uh, this new era of heroes in marvel in in the mcu deserve to be its own thing instead of relying on characters from from the previous phases instead of relying on their cachet or however you want to say that they should be they should essentially be able to make that themselves you know what i mean yeah they should be able to reach those heights on their own but do we subscribe to that type of thinking what do you think or is this a, like a net positive no matter what Net positive. Sometimes uh, actors become characters, and those characters become the franchise. The example that comes to my head is uh, Tom Cruise with Ethan Hunt and Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. where there was a trajectory where they're thinking of, okay, we're going to pass this off to Jeremy Renner. He's going to be the guy. He will carry the Mission Impossible franchise for several movies. Right. And then it's like, well, no, Tom Cruise is too good. Tom Cruise, you don't move on from. Yep. He's Ethan Hunt. He is Mission Impossible. He is his franchise. I think he liked it, too. I think yeah. when he was doing number four, and he's just like, I'm on my way out. At the end of it, he was just like, you want, know what? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, and they, they make a, a truckload of money, those movies. So it's like, why would you ever move on? And it, it might be coincidence, or it might not be. The most successful Marvel movies have had Robert Downey Jr. in them. Hmm. And so I, I think it's a net positive. I don't think he's going to sign up for six movies or anything like that, but he might be in two. And it's still a rumor. Um, but I thought that was very significant news this week. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Andy. That that segment we like to call Story Time with Andy. Because, I mean, new story. the only thing I regret is that we don't have a rug that we can sit on. You know what I mean? And have you read to us like from a book. Like an oversized book. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going like Aladdin, like we're flying on a magic carpet. On a magic carpet. Yeah, I didn't know where you're going with that. When you give us stories, Andy, I feel like I'm on a magic carpet. Yeah. That that was a good one, bro. Thanks. Alrighty. Okay. Well, thank you, Andy, for for the news of the week. Now let's begin, fellas. What do you say? Let's do it. The Count of Monte Cristo. Based on the famous novel by Alexander Dumas, a young man is falsely accused of treason by his supposed best friend in a plot to steal his girlfriend and uh, basically his life for himself. But after years and years, our protagonist Dantes finds a way to escape prison and exact his revenge as he becomes the Count of Monte Cristo. Just giving you a heads up, I'm probably going to say his name like a French person would. I don't speak French. I know no French, but I can't say Edmund. All right. I'm going to say Edmond. Is that all right? That's annoying, but okay. <laughs> just and I'm going to say Fernand. Is that all right? Yeah, no, that's that's not okay. So you should say Edmond and Fernand, and then Andy should be like Edmund and Fernand, and then I'll say Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce. <laughs> just to really confuse the listeners. You know what I mean? Sounds good. All right. So let's get started with our first segment here, which is just the group discussion. And uh, just to give you a couple of quick stats about the movie that we just saw, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo released in uh, January 25th of 2002. Crazy, it's been more than 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, it had a budget of $35 million, and it made $75.4 million at the box office. So, so it really didn't do that well. It barely doubled. Um, barely double is not good? It's not good, no. I remember, I think it might have been Matt Damon who said it one time about 
these movies and, and budgets and everything, he said for a movie to actually be successful financially, it has to perform more than double what they invested into the budget. And that's because they have so many other expenses that I guess the general public isn't aware about that if it makes double, it basically broke even. Nobody's made a lot of money, really. This, this you still know, just, applies to 20 years ago? Maybe. Yeah, it could. So, yeah. so here's the trick with that. Um, so... It only made $75 million worldwide, which is a travesty because the movie was really good. Um, but sometimes that budget that we see online does not in- account for marketing, mm-hmm. uh, the marketing part of it. And then the other part is that $75 million, that gets split with theaters. So the studio only took $37.5 million. So oh, wow. Depending okay. on the marketing number, if that's actually in the $35 million or not, <clears throat> they might have lost money or they might have broken even. Yeah. But at the same time, that seventy-five million does not take into account uh, DVD sales and merch and you know whatever else comes from the movie. Mm-hmm. Did you buy a T-shirt? Did you support Brian back then? Back then, get yourself a Count of Monte Cristo T-shirt. Back then, I was ten years old. You didn't get the action figures. You had money. <laughs> he would have given you some money. <laughs> I I really should have. I feel bad now, actually. Edgar, give can me, I retro? Can I get ten bucks, Edgar? I can't. Re- I need to buy the t-shirt. Got to support the film. I can't retroactively support the film, huh? No. Too late for that. I think it is. I think it's too late. Well, and on the subject of it being good, uh, critic scores on on Metacritic actually put it at a 61%. So, like, the Metascore is, if you had to rate this movie, you know, 1 out of 10, the aggregate score is basically a 6. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, you got 73%, which means that the majority of critics recommend this film they say it's good that's good watch it and audience score which is basically using the same metric 88 percent of the audience of casual moviegoers uh will say this is good watch it i like all those percentages when i was looking at it specific metacritic rotten tomatoes audience score in that order and i saw the numbers i was like yeah that's about right that's that's in line with what you well yeah, that's, that's how I feel. I much. never like the audience score. It's always too high. Right. Even bad movies score high. Um, and sometimes the critic scores are too low. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So. I fell somewhere in the middle. Uh, between audience and critics? Yeah. Like on your question about <clears throat> what did we think about it. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm in the middle. I'd say 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Oh, that's too low. Yeah. That for me, that's a, that's an A movie. I'm not giving it a 10 out of 10. I can't really think of like major flaws in the movie. I gave it a 7, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, well, we can discuss some of the, call it the issues or whatever else. But I don't know, me me thinking about it, I think um, between maybe a a 7.5 and and an 8, maybe more towards 8. And I'll say this, uh, it may have its issues that I caught during my last rewatch, but it is an enjoyable film. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of the buildup, man, it it pays off. And I think that's part of why audiences really love it is because um, you're you're getting like a satisfying conclusion. Right. You know what I mean? It's a fun movie throughout. It keeps you engaged. Uh, There's never like a a, a stretch of time where you're just like, oh, can we get past this? Yeah. You're always invested in it. Right. I kind of disagree a little bit on that point. When he's in prison for all that time, it gets very dark and it would be very easy for somebody to kind of tune out because they don't enjoy that part of the movie. You're not supposed to. That's the best part. That's one of the the best parts Mm. is that entire time at Chateau d'If. 
Mm-hmm. Because that that's what builds up his motivation for the rest of the film. Yeah. And I, I do like that. It's when um, he gets his revelation. Oh, that's so good. We'll so, get to that. Well, no, we, we can actually use this, uh, this time to um, mention some of our favorite parts of the movie. Like, you think back, and what are some of the things that you remember that stand out the most? My first general observation was how much I like Luis Guzman in this movie. He's so good. He's like, good. I can't think of another movie that I enjoy him as much as this one. This is the character of Jacobo, right? Yeah, Jacobo. Oh, yeah. Jacobo. That's Fantastic. right. Fantastic. Um, I love that the movie is split equally in half. Like, I took the time. It is about exactly at the one hour mark where he ends up um, in prison. Uh, so first half of the movie, or actually when he gets out of prison, excuse me, it's the the one hour mark of the movie. It's mm. a two hour movie. And then the second half is all him as becoming the Count and getting revenge on all these people. I love that it's perfectly divided, perfectly balanced in, in that aspect. Mm-hmm. As um, all things should be. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> I, I, I love some specific notes of the movie. Uh, but they're very specific, so I'll, I'll get to those later. But in, in general, I love this movie. It's always been one of my favorites. Uh, fantastic story. And I think the screenwriters did one thing in particular that made it better than the book, hmm. which we'll talk about later. Okay. Yeah, when we get to general notes, I'll have notes on specific scenes and everything. But overall, I think it was a really well-done movie. It was a well-told story. So props to the director for getting that done as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, cohesive, uh, like I said, fun, entertaining, um, great performances. Yes, I, not a. I didn't see a, a single <clears throat> performance where I'm just like, wow, that's bad. Right. Um, I, I think that, and this is one of the questions later, but the weakest link, and it's not that necessarily he was weak. He was just the weakest. Mm-hmm. Was Albert. Uh, Henry, Henry Cavill. Cavill. Yeah, but he's a young actor. This is probably one of his first movies. I don't blame him for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just that he was among really good, good actors. And again, not that he did bad. Right. He, he actually, didn't do bad. He I, did well. I, I made a note, yeah, that he did pretty well. Um, he he emoted pretty well uh, in several scenes, and, and I like that. Yeah, it's but like it's if, true. If, it's... if you're in a, you're in a you know, basketball team with all-stars, and then you mm-hmm. got one guy who's like a B-plus, it's not that he's bad as a B-plus, it's right. just he's the weakest link. He's just surrounded by yeah greatness exactly yeah. that's right no yeah i agree it's uh it's it's such an enjoyable film it's just so entertaining and we don't really get too many what's called like swashbuckling adventures anymore no um, these kinds of movies i don't think they get made as much anymore not not as much no and i don't know that i think Sad. it'd be cool to to come back to to that's, that type of that exactly that type of movie same thing scorsese and tarantino complain about that it's all superhero movies now lots of people feel that way but you know, they're not necessarily wrong. It's driven by money. Yeah, if this movie had made $250 million, there would have been four sequels. It made seventy-five. no sequel. Really, that's all the studios care about. If people were interested in worms crossing the street for four hours and it made $200 billion, yeah, they're going to keep making more worms crossing the street. That is interesting. It is. That's what it is. They don't care what the subject matter is. Why would the worms be crossing the street? And how did it make $200 billion? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a gross hyperbole, bro. (laughs) Well, that's really gross. You said $2 billion. It's like, okay, well, it's the highest grossing movie of all time. You went 100 times over that. But if you think think about it, they probably weren't as invested in making comic book films because they thought to themselves, and you think like an older person of those, you know, of those generations, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and everything. We make this about Batman, Superman, all that. We're not going to make any money back. 
come on, kids like that stuff. We're not gonna make money. Now they're realizing, oh my gosh, this is like a, a, just a, a cow that we can really milk. And yeah, and sure they, enough, it's, it's sure enough it's look at that, them, yep, they're yep, super yep, profitable yep. every yep. time they come out with a movie. Hmm. Okay, all right then. Well, uh, getting back to the discussion of performances, we'll go ahead and move on to our, uh, our second segment here, which we call Castaway, right? And not because we're on an island and uh, deserted and surviving, but in this segment, we're going to be discussing casting choices. And, and first off, let's just uh, let's just discuss the cast, okay? So we have Jim Caviezel, um, my dude, as uh, as Edmond Dantes before he's uh, cast as Jesus. <laughs> and then we have Guy Pierce as uh, Fernand Mondego, right? And yeah, uh, yes. before this- he's the Mandarin way before he's the Mandarin. Yeah. This was like two or three years before he got cast in Passion of the Christ. I think they saw him in the prison scenes and they just said, that's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, because you see him with the long hair and the beard and getting whipped and they're just like, man, they did all the work for us. Mm-hmm. Features a young Henry Cavill before he's uh, cast as Space Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lots of Jesuses in this. What's the actress's name that plays Mercedes? Dagmara Demonchik. Dagmara... Demonchik. Okay. Yeah, last name is spelled D-O-M-I-N-C-Z-Y-K. It's kind of difficult. She's Polish, I believe. Yeah. And she's married to Patrick Wilson, which is very interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. So this is like the main cast here. And and how do y'all feel? What? This was tough, man. Best performance in the movie? Yeah. That was tough for me. What what would you say? I narrowed it down. Um, You got to pick one. I've got. If you had to pick one, I, I had f- I had potentially five nominees. Okay, or, or not potential. I had five nominees. Oh my god! And then I got it down to two, and it's between the two main guys, Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce. Hmm. I couldn't decide between the both of them. I think that Jim Caviezel had a little bit more range, um, because be- because he had more of a transformation than Guy Pierce did. Mm-hmm. He did Guy Pierce had a, a transformation, but it was minute. He just went from scum like like kind of scummy to full on 1000% scumbag. Scumbag, yeah. You know, and Jim Caviezel goes from naive and very sympathetic to kind of um, misguided and and vengeful yes. and and very aristocratic and everything to back down to earth a little bit. Mhm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. What do you think, Andy? What would be my favorite performance? Dagmara. I, I love the the character. Of she was one of my nominees, and mm-hmm. the, she acted it phenomenally, in my opinion. She was great. Yeah, my favorite scene, my favorite acting scene, involves her in this movie. In the carriage. In the carriage. Yeah, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is just well, and Caviezel also knocks it out of the park in that scene. But just all of that is yeah. perfect. Yeah, wow. I would agree. Uh, but I think I think my favorite performance is Caviezel, and it's for the exact same reasons that Steven was saying. And it's because you, you really see that transformation. Because there are some movies where you have a, maybe a similar situation, and not even just superheroes, but you have a, a, a character that uh, at least the movie tries to get you to believe that the other characters don't recognize them. And not many pull it off very well. And in this one, they do. Because you can see such a difference between when he's playing his younger self and whenever he's out of Chateau d'If. It's like physically, he even looks pretty different. You know what's sad to me now that I look at this? Hmm. None of those guys got nominated for Best Actor. 
that this was the performances were good enough i feel to at least be nominated don't you especially jim caviezel now that i think of it because he was really good and now i'm looking at the names <clears throat> nicholas cage got nominated instead of this guy really well yeah. for what for what uh... a movie called adaptation jack nicholson for about schmidt michael kane for the quiet american daniel day lewis for gangs of new york and adrian brody for the the pianist and he won Oh, well, the pianist is, I hear, like a phenomenal performance. Yeah. I think those were like super duper A-list guys, though. Caviezel yeah. was not yet. Not. Um, and that was when they were only nominating five for a category. I feel like that's a tough, you know, that's a lot of big names to, to be in the mix. Yeah. So I, I understand it. If I, I could redo it. that, I'd throw them in there. Me personally. Caviezel? Yeah. At least nominated. I, I, I'm just thinking about the Chateau Deep scenes, too, when he's all hopeless and everything. And, man, he does so good there, too. Mm-hmm. Or, I think all the acting performances were stellar. I don't have a single weak link, even Cavill. You guys are saying Cavill was... I, I didn't see it. I mean, there was no there was no weak link for me. They were all perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a performance that stands out as maybe not so great. Maybe... I was going to say maybe the warden. Maybe. You know what? I had him in the top guys really? as potentially best. And I had I wrote down a note here. I said, I was wondering if this guy's performance is really that good or if it's just his insanely ominous voice. Huh. And by the end of it, I said, no, nah, it's the voice. It's the voice. So, you know, that's why I, I took him away as, as a potential winner. I see. And that character didn't even exist in the book from my understanding. He didn't? No, he was oh. invented for the screenplay as kind of the personification of the system. Mm. Because it's such a corrupt system, but when you put like a face and a name to it, uh, it gives you something tangible to really hate on. You know what I mean? Because he's there to say like, yeah, I know you're innocent, but I don't care. Right, exactly. So, yeah, from what we can see... All performances in this movie, I mean, that's part of what makes the movie special, is that everyone involved just did a great job, uh, all in all. And that also, of course, includes uh, all, like the cast and crew that worked behind the scenes. So that takes us to our next segment, Behind the Scenes. Well, so, hold on. Sorry. That's all right. There's a... Uh, I-, I wanted to mention uh, one of the people that was almost cast in the movie, because it's, it's kind of a big deal. It's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Um, By the way, this is what I was telling you that I couldn't find anything, and I was really sad. Yeah, I looked it up. I could not find any almost casted people in this movie. Well, let's. I, yeah. I looked at several websites, and nobody had anything. What'd you find, Andy? Okay, so uh, according to IMDb, uh, Guy Pierce was originally off. What he wanted the role of Edmund Dantes, and I, I believe they told him no. They had him more for Fernand. Um, I also found it very interesting that they had offered the role of uh, Edmund Dantes to Arnold Schwarzenegger. What? <laughs> According to IMDb. That sounds really funny to me. I don't watch this movie if he's Edmund. That would be so crazy. How could that even work? Isn't, he's, he, isn't he supposed to be French? He's like two <laughs> feet taller than Guy Pierce. I don't know how that works. Guy Pierce is like going to jab him where? In like the groin? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I found those two pieces of casting news very interesting that, you know... My skills aren't very good. Do, do, With say, the sword, but I'm still going to kill you, Fernand. 
<laughs> say the line. What is it? Um, you know, they must suffer as I have suffered. Say that in Schwarzenegger's voice. They must suffer as I have suffered. Yeah, that's not bad. That's, yeah. Okay, now you got me more invested in a Schwarzenegger count of Monte Cristo. Look, I would not watch... Not going to get the part. <laughs> I would watch that movie, but he he was offered the role in when it was early in development, early stages of development, and he turned it down. And then I, I'm glad Guy Pierce ended up being Fernand because he's so good as a villain. Yes. He is so good. Yeah, yeah, he is. You reverse the roles; they're both fantastic actors. I don't like the movie as much. Right. I can't picture it that way. But I, I wanted to share those two pieces of casting news. I like that. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you were able to find something like that because that's pretty good. I love me some Arnie, but not in this role. <laughs> oh, and then as far as if we were ever to remake this movie. We're going to um, do that at the end. I thought that we're, was... Oh, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we decided to move it. Sorry, we, we didn't we, tell you. Yeah, we made a note to move that. But that's okay. Just hold on to that. Okay. Um, righty. Awesome. So, moving on to our uh, our third segment, Behind the Scenes. Because, really, not just the cast, but the crew as well deserve some recognition for this movie. They all contributed to help make, make it what it is. Yeah. So, uh, what are some things that stood out to y'all as far as the actual production goes? It could be the directing, it could be some of the cinematography, uh, the screenplay or the script, the dialogue, special effects. Uh, I'll start here. Uh, director did a really good job. Um, their main job is to tell the story, right? Right. And do it effectively. He did. Cinematography, I wasn't blown away by it. I was, I mean, they Same. had some, they had some shots that were interesting mm. that I stopped and I was just like, okay, that's nice. I wish that it and i know for a fact if they could go back and edit this movie or you know do a couple things here and there that'd be one of the places where they would put their focus yeah it's like let's make this movie visually interesting also in such a way that it's uh a little bit more iconic you yeah. don't there's not a certain shot in this movie where you're just like oh that's the count of monte cristo shot mm-hmm. or you know uh i remember that shot from the movie right it's there's nothing really amazing at least not to me and maybe somebody who knows about this stuff even more would disagree but um i did like the silhouette shot in edmond's bedroom uh with mercedes when she's telling him that she knows it's him mm-hmm. there's one where you just see their silhouettes and the moonlight's coming through the window mm-hmm. um and so you just see their like gestures and everything i was just like okay that's good that's yeah. clever yeah. yeah you know but there's not enough of that i feel and and I would agree with you, because uh, that's part of what the cinematography is for, is to be able to help tell the story with no dialogue, with no acting. It's just how it looks mm-hmm. in the frame. And it's tough to do. It is. And, and it looks fine. But yes, that that was an area for improvement. There was one thing that they did that, um, and they I don't know if they did this intentionally, but whenever um, Edmund escapes quote-unquote, right before he's about to get arrested um, and gets to Mondego's house, to Fernand Mondego's house, and they have that fight. You know what I mean? And that's when he finds out that Fernand is the one who betrayed him. Does that look kind of hazy to you? It looks cloudy inside the mansion. Yeah. It's like there's a fog. I'm wondering if, if that's intentional. Right. I don't doubt that it is. Now, what does it symbolically mean? Maybe it all feels surreal to him. Yeah. What's happening? Because yeah, that, that, that be level too. of betrayal is, I mean, it's bound to affect somebody um, deeply. You yeah. know what I mean? 
So that's a nice that's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah, that's true. Because he compares the Chateau d'If to hell, right? Right. He tells him later. Right. So maybe the whole you know the gas or that like misty look on the floors and everything, right? You're mm. referring to that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this is the moment before being sent to hell. Right. I could see that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just I'm spitballing here. Yeah. No. But that's that's pretty good. Um. I'll I will give a shout out to the uh, the screenplay because adapting a book to a movie is tough. And the Count of Monte Cristo, the book itself, is uh, extremely long. Yeah. And I got the abridged version. Oh, did you? When This was assigned summer reading when I was entering 10th grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, if you want the abridged version, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they would test us on that version oh, okay. as opposed to the, the longer one. Yeah. that They did you a favor then. Yeah. It's, it's, I have it over there. I'll show it to you. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. All right, then. But no, they, it was adapted very well. And yeah, there were some key changes. Um the the person who who wrote the screenplay actually um he mentioned you know what would you say to critics that say that you did not uh that you were not faithful to the book to the source material and he says that he would say thank you because that's not my job oh i like that it's like if you want the book read the book i like that my job is to make it into a movie and that's true. That's I mean, true. there are just some things that you have to do. It's a different medium. I completely understand it now. When you don't know about this stuff, then you're just like, oh, well, the you know, the book is better because, you know, it goes into this and this and that and it does this. And, and you're just like, a movie has to be different. You have to maintain an audience's attention yeah. for two, maybe two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. You have to make some concessions in order to be able to make the movie watchable at all. And you can't have everything. Right. Exactly. And and there's things that don't work as well on screen as they do when you're reading it. Exactly. So his name is Jay uh, Wolpert, the screenwriter. And uh, you have my you have my salute, my friend, Jay. <laughs> yeah, good job, Jay. Good job. He he did make some some key changes. Um he mentions that in the book, even though everyone has a sword, very few actually use it. Mm-hmm. There's very little action set pieces in the book itself, which would not make for a very entertaining movie. Right. Um, he also made the change that um, Edmund and Fernand be best friends. So that's not that's obviously not the case in the book. But he says that when you think about conflicts and you think about, say, wars, civil wars tend to be the worst because there's something about uh, being so close in one moment and then uh, like having that kind of falling out it's almost like those feelings of betrayal and hate they reach new levels Mm -hmm. and so he wanted to portray that although i will say i kind of wish i would have seen more of a friendship in the beginning of this movie i don't really buy that they're best friends you know what i mean yeah i have i have comments on that later okay okay so i have some comments on that now that was one of my favorite things uh about the screenplay was the fact that yeah he changed that um Mm -hmm. And same same idea. The logic was that when a friendship sours, the hate generated is both more terrible and more believable. Mm. Those those were his words. And I can't imagine this movie where they're not friends. It's like it doesn't feel as personal, mm-hmm. and you're, you're not rooting as hard for Edmund. You know, when it's a stranger, this was his quote unquote best friend. Mm-hmm. I also understand what you're saying. If they were best friends. You know, Fernand was a terrible best friend. You can tell right from the from the beginning. From the like, start, he's yeah. not a very good friend. Yeah, and part of that is I think Edmund's just so naive. He doesn't really know how to read people. Mm-hmm. But he, he, you know, we're 
he's portrayed as somebody who's uneducated. He doesn't know how to read. He's a good person, though. He's, he's, he's a, a genuinely good, person. good yeah. person. So it also could be that he's willing to forgive everything because this is his friend. But uh, we don't ever meet any of his other friends. So that might be his one friend in mm-hmm. life. And so that could be why he refuses to uh, move on and get better friends because, you know, it's clear Fernand is not a great friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Two things before we continue, B, on what Andy just said. Yeah. Uh, the foreshadowing is a little heavy in the beginning, don't you think? The very first line of the movie, for a mo- uh, Edmond says to Fernand, for a moment, I thought you were abandoning me. And Fernand replies, Fernand Mondego does not abandon his friends. Huh. <laughs> Which is funny. And then while they're on Elba, before they've even that scene has even ended, Fernand says, it's a pity adventurers can't always be friends. Edmond says, what are you talking about? And Fernand says, it won't always be like this. Yeah, it? exactly. And I was just like, that's one of the things where I was just like, okay, that's that's a little heavy <laughs> uh, in the beginning. Like, you're you're foreshadowing too much, especially upon, like, this is the fifth time I watched this movie. You really notice it. But, uh, usually you want to give viewers the ability to figure this stuff out on their own mm-hmm. and not be, like, spoon-feeding it so much. But anyway, it is what it is. And then the second thing um, about the, the scene at uh at fernand's house uh after he escapes capture that is just a heartbreaking scene man mm-hmm. i think that might be my favorite scene in the movie when he goes uh when he actually when he's been cut up and everything by fernand he goes why in god's name why and fernand replies as the as the you know authorities come in because you're the son of a clerk and i'm not supposed to want to be you mm-hmm that yeah. was so powerful man i was just like that might be my favorite scene in the movie and and it encompasses um his new motivation in the movie as opposed to the book because i think the book is just mainly he wants the girl for himself and he's gonna do what he needs to to get to get her i'm glad they changed one thing about the book in the book mercedes is fernand's cousin just saying uh yeah they got they got rid of that for the okay good (laughs) good job jay so i I actually have this in vexing questions but i kind of want to talk about it now and then we won't talk about it later okay did she do Edmund a disservice by not telling him how often Fernand was hitting on her and trying to get her to cheat on Edmund? Uh, yeah, I think so. I feel like you gotta bring that up. That wasn't the first time <laughs> yeah, when they are on the rocks. Right. It's like, he's doing this a lot. So first of all, why are they all hanging out? Why is she alone with him? And why has she not told him? Like, I, that seems like a problem to me. Uh, unless, yeah. unless she... You want to tell us how you really feel about Mercedes, man? <laughs> Oh, I love her. I'm not blaming her. What? Um, it's her I'm, fault. I'm blaming her for not for not telling Edmund. And maybe it's because it's you know that's his one friend, that's his best friend, and she thinks what will it do to their friendship. But you know, a lot of problems in this movie might have been avoided if yeah. uh, she had said something earlier. Been more better, upfront. Better better communication skills. Maybe they just take it in jest. You know what I mean? Maybe both her and even if she has mentioned it to uh, to Edmund, they just think ah he's they just kidding. Yeah, yeah, they he's, blow it off. Oh, Fernand, that 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 wily guy, yeah. just being himself. Okay, let's all talk right, about then. the score, B. Okay, let's. All right. Well, what what you what did you notice about the score? Good overall. Yeah. My favorite uh, track was the very final one that ends the movie, and I think it's a rec- they use it at a certain other point, maybe once or twice in the movie, and I like that. Hmm. Aside from that, I thought it was good. There was nothing that's like. Wow. Well, and that's the aside, thing. Aside from that. But mm-hmm. if there was one track that you play for me just randomly 10 years from now, 
and it's that one, I'll be like, Count of Monte Cristo. So at least they got one track there that really um, makes me think about the movie. It made an impression. Yeah. It might not be iconic to the culture. Yeah. But I would remember. Okay. Yeah. Because for me, it there was nothing really that stood out. Yeah. Um, for me, I like it. I recognize it when I hear it. It's not iconic like hearing the Jurassic Park score or right. Jaws or anything. There's mm-hmm. no beating John Williams. No, there isn't. <laughs> but I, I do like it. I, I did like it. Um, and I, I would recognize it if I heard it. Mm-hmm. Even years after having watched the movie, I would recognize what it's from. Mm, okay. And quick note about the set also, since it kind of falls into this segment, is that uh, uh, most of the shots that we see was filmed on the island of Malta. Mm-hmm. They just had to kind of dress it up a little bit to make it look like Marseille in the 1800s. But uh, I think they mentioned like 85% of what we see is in Malta. I've heard that Malta's really pretty. It'd be a nice place to visit. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of the um, interior shots, like the inside of Chateau d'If, was all built. That's a set that was built. Wow. The inside of the mansion, uh, the Count's yeah. mansion, is, uh, is all built. Wow. I think they made a mention that you see like those marble tiles on the floor. There's 750 of them uh, that we see on screen. And uh, and they're all made out of wood. They're just painted to look like marble. Wow. Hats off to the production crew. You just cannot tell. But man, yeah. They really did a great, great job. Uh, Because that is one thing that I didn't really question was the authenticity of the set. Because it looked really good. As far as special effects go, I don't think there was very much in this movie, right? That hot air balloon that he fall, comes down in, that's that's fake, right? Yeah, that's fake. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I think I remember seeing um, in some of the behind-the-scenes footage that it's a crane that's I'm, bringing that I'm that glad, actually, down. that they filmed that at night because CG, you can get away with more things at night. Yep. I think that if they had done that in the daylight, we would have been like, oh, that's Obvious. clearly yeah. CG. And, and it'd be one of those things that wouldn't hold up today. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and the the exterior of the Count's chateau is in Ireland. Mm. I think they tried to, to film most of it in Ireland at first. And when they got there, they were like, nah, this isn't, yeah. it's not looking like it. It's got to it's gotta work. Yeah, exactly. Um, wardrobe, nice costumes. Any Oscar nominations for that? What would you say? I, I don't know. I didn't look it up. This movie, I don't think it got nominated for anything. Nothing? And that's just... 2002 was not that great a year, was it? That none of, that nothing got nominated for Count of Monte Cristo? It was so good. Hmm. That's crazy. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting because I was... When we were watching it, we were like, so there were already fireworks in the 1800s? But yes, fireworks have been around for a long time. Yeah, they were invented by like 1200s or 1500s by the Chinese, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I looked it up, and it says 2nd century BC. But by the Chinese? Did I get at least half of that right? Uh, yes. Okay. Ancient uh, Lu Wang, China. <laughs> nice. So... Okay, all right then. Yeah, I was like, oh, we're going to ding it. But uh, nope, I guess not. They're still historically accurate. So yeah, hats off to the to the cast and crew for putting together an overall great looking and, I mean, entertaining film. So uh, just as a, as a quick subsection of this segment, uh, let's go ahead and just decide, is there indeed a winner, winner holiday roast of the movie? <laughs> a clear winner of the movie? Uh, Jim Caviezel. That's your pick? Uh, my pick was uh, The Viewer. 
The movie didn't make any one of this cast like a superstar or even a star. Um, so for me, this is the Edmund Dantes uh, Kings to You, which was King of the Moment Award. So Kings to You, the viewer, because you were the big winner from this movie, in my opinion. Mm. That's good. Yeah. I like that. I like that better than mine because I was yeah. going to say Guy Pierce. Really? Just because it seems seems like he had the better career moving forward from here. But yeah. I don't know if that's accurate. He stayed in movies longer. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's in like absolutely, you know, banger movies, but he's in more movies than Jim Caviezel is after this. Caviezel but, went into into TV where he was very successful also. He did a show called Person of Interest that if you haven't checked out, it's cool. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. But who had the bigger peak? For me, it's Caviezel. I, don't, I, I can't name... Very many things Guy Pierce was in. He was always like a secondary character in every movie. I think it was Caviezel this, was, two years before this. He did Memento, right, with Chris Nolan. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And then after this, I feel like he's just randomly in in bit parts of other movies. Caviezel was Jesus, so I feel like that tops everything. Yeah. I feel Caviezel had the better the better <laughs> career. Guy Pierce is great, though. Yeah, he's a great actor, he, and he really is. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, David Saavedra, mm-hmm. he always wanted Guy Pierce as Batman. That was his thing. I don't know. He's like, if you could recast Batman right now, or if we could move forward. Uh, this was even before um, Christian Bale. He was like Guy Pierce. That's weird. And he would just tell me, like, here's what I envision. <laughs> and uh, it was it was pretty cool. I was just like, he's a little bit thin. He'd have to bulk up a bit. Yeah. But I think uh, he was he liked the idea of a, of a thinner Batman who, like, smoked a lot. <laughs> How's he gonna smoke a lot and fight crime? Uh, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta be like in good shape. You he's, know what I mean? He's giving up. There's no smokers that are in good shape. Okay. All right then, guys. Awesome. Well, uh, let's go ahead and take a second to uh, listen to a word from our sponsors. Who's sponsoring our podcast? That's a good question. You know us. <laughs> <laughs> My mom. We have. <laughs> we have no money. We have no no money coming in. Oh my. Whatsoever. I was thinking, like, if there was a product from the time, uh, whatever toothpaste Jim Caviezel uses uh, after Chateau Dief, get, <laughs> get me some of that. If you it works. If you've been in prison for 16 years uh, with no access to any uh, hygienic practices whatsoever. Oh my goodness. His teeth do stay pretty clean, huh? Like, when he's in prison, they look disgusting. Yeah, but when he gets out... Three months later, they're, like, awesome. Yeah. What happened there? What he is got he using? money. That's what happened. What's he using? He became a billionaire. No, this was before he got the treasure. When he's on the boat with... Uh, he had somebody with perfect teeth with, killed. With the and smuggler. then he just took their teeth. <laughs> yeah, remember when he had the uh, conversation with the captain? He's like, it'd be good to keep some friends. Yeah, Luigi Vampa. Yes, 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 yes. All right, so, like, I was paying attention to when does his teeth get better. And by then, they were already better. Well, pirates apparently have access to good good dental care. <laughs> All right, then. So, okay, this I, podcast I, brought to you by Pirate Toothpaste. There was one screenplay, uh, there was one directorial choice, I think, that they made that I really liked. So, apparently, the scene with v- Villefort, when he's in the carriage... And there's the gun for him to kill himself. Mm, yes. We haven't even talked about him as a character yet. That's it, right. I know. And it was it was I mean fantastic scene. Great performance. But it was filmed two ways: one with the gun loaded, and one without. 
Oh. And when they tested it with audiences, they didn't like it when he killed himself. Too easy. Yeah, it was basically too easy. And I think the, the way it worked out works out much better. Yeah. Now he has to suffer yeah. in prison. I agree. And he's not escaping. He's going to the Chateau d'If, right? Is it implied? Or did they actually say it? I don't remember. No, they don't actually no, say it. No, they don't tell you. And it seems unlikely because he ends up buying the Chateau d'If a couple weeks later. Yeah. That's and right. He was originally going to destroy it, so there are no prisoners at that point. But so. it, it's definitely uh, showing that the roles have been inversed now, because now he's the one getting into the carriage all uneasy, mm-hmm. and he's the one that's looking out through the bars and sees Edmund staring back at him. Is that not the perfect revenge? Man? Oh man, I that, love it. I think that that was my favorite one. Was it? That was my favorite revenge act. Yeah, because there were so many great little moments that led up to it. Yeah. You know, when they're in the sun and he's like, yeah, he's never going to confess to it. And he's like, yeah. you're right, but you did. Yeah. And yeah. boom, there are the cops. Why are they not more sweaty, though? It's super hot in that room. I feel like you'd be sweating almost instantly. Well, Villefort had been in there for who knows how long. And then, you know, so he was already hot. These other guys are there for five minutes. Yeah, true. They're, they're nice and refreshed. Yeah. They're... <laughs> So, uh, let's move on to our next segment, which we call The Egg Drop. And uh, in this segment, we like to share some of the Easter eggs that we found in the movie. But this also includes uh, fun facts and things that we've either noticed or that we looked up uh, that we like and that we want to share about the Count, the Count of Monte Cristo. So, what did you guys find? I have uh, one interesting fact that I found. So, I, I looked up the Chateau d'If, and it was a real prison. Uh, an interesting fact that I found is that they would put uh, poor prisoners towards the bottom of the prisoner, uh, towards the bottom of the prison, and the wealthier prisoners could buy a cell higher up with a view and a window. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. So Edmund's cell has a window, and it made me think if there was a reason for that, and it may not, it may have been just you know a storytelling device, but yeah, I, I wondered. I wondered if the fact that he was the captain of the ferry owned when he was arrested, if that made him of a higher station and therefore they put him up higher in the prison. Could be. Versus other people. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting though. The even even in those times the rich had privileges in prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um and it might have been a total coincidence, or it might have been on purpose trying to keep it historically accurate. I don't have anything additional to add to the egg drop. I really don't have much, but I was looking up what Chateau d'If translates to. Because if you punch it into Google, it says you castle. Like you as in Y-E-W. And apparently you is a type of tree. Mm. So what's what's going on here? Why is it called that? But Chateau d'If is a, is a real, I mean, it was a real prison. Yeah. I did also Google that. All I got was Chateau of If. I don't know. I don't think Google knew how to interpret it yeah, into French. That's a mistake. Yeah. That's weird. But, but I, I did look that up too, trying to see if there was something cool about that. Mm hmm. Okay. All right then. Well, I mean, it does look like a castle, so I guess we got got that much of it uh, figured out. But okay. All so right then. The only other notes I have, and I don't know if this was the best spot to put them in, but. If there was a remake of this movie, oh, yeah. I don't know, for some reason, the cover of the book, I see that character, Edmund Dantes. Mm-hmm. That looks a little bit like Robert Pattinson to me. I'm not a big Robert Pattinson fan, but I feel like he would do okay if he was cast as Edmund Dantes. Is that the same book I have? Yeah. 
Yeah, the gray one. Yeah, with the big sideburns. Yeah, yeah. When I saw that, I'm like, that's that's who I think of. And then uh, Luigi Vampa is the only other one that I recast in my head, and I would put Johnny Tell- Depp. Any any wow. reason to get Johnny Depp as a pirate again? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I thought I because I, I thought that would be fun. I have mine for when we get there. Even even that type of pirate, Johnny Depp, because sure. Johnny Depp has really like defined his own pirate. I would mm-hmm. say he's he's very eccentric. Yeah, but I feel like in a small dose that'd be cool. I don't think he likes trying the same kind of role two times. Two times. All right, so. This uh, this leads very well into our next segment, which we call Hypotheatricals. I'm uh, workshopping that name, okay? It's like a mix between theater and hypotheticals. Mm. And I feel like now that I said it, uh, it doesn't sound that great. So, I like it. Well, <laughs> so uh, I figured this would be like, kind of like a fun thought exercise where we kind of just explore some hypotheticals uh, as far as the movie itself. So like we could try to imagine maybe the same characters but played uh by a different actor either of the time or a uh a modern day uh actor you know someone who's who's big right now but in this movie or if this movie was uh just remade completely nowadays what is your ideal cast look like so if we were going to do a modern day remake i have certain People I'd like to cast. I want to hear okay? it. Okay. I know that uh, you guys usually pick like two or three actors and I like to go all the way. <laughs> so I don't have like 17, but I've got several here. Okay. All right. And I know that no modern day remake uh, casting is going to be perfect. I'm sure you guys are going to hear one of these and you're not going to like it. That's fine. Just bear with me. Okay. okay? All right. Just don't stop thinking about uh, it. <laughs> Andrew Garfield as Edmond. Robert Pattinson as Fernand, Gal Gadot as Mercedes, Michael Peña as Jacopo, Mm. Jason Momoa as Luigi Vampa, Michael Fassbender as Villafort, and Jason Statham as Danglars. Jason Statham? Yes. Why? I I can see him being so ugly. (laughs) I can just see him, they put the wig on him, And he's already got, like, the voice. He's got the, like, look on his face. Like, he's bummed out because he got, you know, passed over. Mm -hmm. I can see. And it's a bit part, really. He's only in, like, two or three scenes. So, um, I I don't hate it. The one that immediately stood out to me, though, was Gal Gadot. I, I feel like she's too old, even though Andrew Garfield, I'm pretty sure, is older than her. He no. just looks so young. Well, mm. I, I looked up ages and everything, and she's still in her 30s. I made sure all three of those main guys uh, were in their 30s. Um, Gal Gadot, because I feel like she could play, uh, she could pull off that really innocent, uh, good person kind of vibe. Uh, I know that she's a little bit tall, so I don't know if she's taller than Andrew Garfield. I think Andrew Garfield's pretty tall, too. Yeah. That was the only thing where I was just like, you know, when Andy hears this, he's not going to like the height difference. <laughs> the height difference. But um, And I think that Robert Pattinson has that kind of tortured, bummed out kind of thing, so he could play for none. I can yeah. see him doing what Guy Pierce did. This is just me. These are just names that came to my head. I will say for sure, Pattinson... I had alternates, too, but these were the ones that I wanted to go with. Okay, okay. I can see Pattinson um, at least adding some depth. To the character of Fernand, you know what I mean? Um, because in this one, he's pretty. I hate to use the term one note, mm-hmm. like yeah, this guy's bad from the start. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he's he just goes from bad to worse. 
Um, and I think Pattinson could make it to where he's a little bit more complex. Maybe he doesn't really want to betray him, but then he kind of just leans into it and becomes that type of character. I don't yeah. know. I imagine certain people in certain scenes. So, for example, I what got me sold me on Robert Pattinson as Renan is a part where he goes, "Yours is a life truly blessed, mom," mm. and then just walks away as he's drinking his beer, you know, or whatever he's drinking. I could see that. So, fun fact: now that we're talking about ages, Henry Cavill was only seven years younger than Dagmara in the scene you know and their mother and son in the movie wow there was only a seven year age difference at the time that they filmed that's pretty crazy (laughs) yeah and it it doesn't seem jarring at all to me i mean she i would have believed that she was in her 30s i would have believed that she was in her 20s i mean she looks good and i'm sure she's probably aged well and so i it wouldn't it never i never thought about it never gave it a thought at in all my times of watching it you know who I would cast as the priest, although he may already be a bit too old if Anthony it were Hopkins. made today. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. yeah. How did you know I was going to say that? I just thought of the oldest person I could think of, and it was Anthony Hopkins. Now that you mentioned Anthony Hopkins, I had this written down in my general <laughs> notes. The very last um, outfit that Edmond has in the very final fight when he takes off his coat and everything, he... I was just like, that gave me some Mask of Zorro vibes. So I get the reference there, you yeah. know, with the sword. And yeah. then he, he kind of, and he's got the long hair, the clean shaven face. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Antonio Banderas. <laughs> um, and I was, I was trying to think if there was a way to, to cast DiCaprio in a modern day remake. He but wouldn't again, do it. He's, he's too, he's too highbrow. Oh, He's, he just wouldn't do he it. He wouldn't do it. No, he wouldn't do it. He did something similar with the Man in the Iron Mask. Mm. That was before he met Scorsese. <laughs> I think at this point, he's so, so selective of movies that he doesn't do something like this, regardless of how we feel about it. Unless it's directed by Scorsese. And then it becomes a gangster pirate film. Man. <laughs> Man. A gangster pirate You think, film. like, you enjoy this movie now, the way it is, in the hands of a master... Could you imagine how much better it would have been? Which director would you pick for a modern day remake? Oh, there's, there's you a have lot. To you'd, have to, you'd have to give me time you gotta to pick think one. about that. You gotta pick one. Just off the top of your head, go. Oh my gosh. Or you, Andy, go. No, I didn't come up with that question. Don't put that on me. <laughs> I'm fine with the director. <laughs> I can't, you'd have to give me time. I can't do that on the spot. Which is a shame because I did want to see, like, if you had to make a sequel... What would the story be? So I'm glad that there is no sequel. Um, they would have ruined it. Yeah. You can't. This is a masterpiece, a literary masterpiece. Uh, you know, it's not a masterpiece film, even though I'm the highest on on it mm-hmm. among the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't change anything about the movie. I love it. But no, there could never be a sequel. But yeah. if you had to. I, I got one. Direct to DVD so that you know they trash it. <laughs> Okay, uh, Count of Monte Cristo two, and and they call it the new count, but <laughs> and it's basically Albert uh, becomes the new Count of Monte Cristo because in the first five minutes of the movie they kill off Jim Caviezel. Okay. He comes back, okay, just to get killed off in the first five minutes, <laughs> and now the movie's about Albert getting revenge on the guys who killed, killed his, his dad. dad. 
and he does it slowly and methodically, like his dad did. So it's still a revenge story. So yes. let's add an element to that then. And how about and it's gets, and it's like it's it's like a a fifteen percent on the Rotten Tomato meter. <laughs> That's how bad it is. He gets framed for his father's murder and goes back into the Chateau d'If. They reopen the Chateau d'If just <laughs> to put him in there, and then he has to get revenge. He has to escape and get revenge on the people who killed his dad. And it's not the Chateau d'If anymore. It's the Chateau d'If. Yeah, is that funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that'd oh be bad. Basically, Andy's right. Just don't touch this movie. Just this is one of those movies first. you just leave it alone. I was thinking that uh, it would be cool if the sequel was that uh, the son of Danglar comes back to get revenge oh. on. Uh... <laughs> See, so all the ba- all these ideas are bad, and yeah. that's why you don't touch it. That's the point because there's no good ideas. Exactly. There no, are no, no good ideas. No, no sequel for this one. That's uh, let's leave it as is. Maybe a remake, but no sequel. All right, guys. Let's move on to our final segment here. Hit it takes. It's time for the hit it takes. This is a fan favorite. Uh, how many fans do we have? I think it comes down to uh, six people. Six, I think, right now. Yeah. Total listens. We've got to get a good number, though, on the Jaws podcast. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, guys, to everyone who stuck with us up to this point. So the hit it takes, if you remember, uh, we're just going to go through. Let's see what you guys got. Let's start with, I think, every, everyone's favorite. I don't know if you're if you're just even an answer for this one, but what's, what's Jacob's, what's Chili's ha- most hated tech? I couldn't. Movie. I couldn't think of one, man. I just came. I just, you know, made one up. The hot air balloon. The- does that count as uh, technology? I could see like Chili, like it lands, and all of a sudden he's just like, it doesn't land smooth. Let's do it again. It's like this stupid tech, stupid hot air balloon. Yeah, it's so hard to steer. Yeah, I could see him getting upset about oh that. Oh my god. Yeah, there there was no tech in this movie, so I didn't I didn't come up with anything. I mean, it's it's tough. I was th- thinking for a moment like the steam valve in the sauna. Uh, <laughs> it's like there's no there's no way to regulate this thing. You know, it's either too hot or there's not enough steam. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, oh my gosh. All right then. What this about was a, this uh, was a tough one for Chili's. Uh, yeah, that one was tough. What about um, what what would E have the most patience? <laughs> This is my, I will tell you right now, this is my favorite category in every podcast we do for the rest of my life. I want this in everything yeah, that we is, ever this do. This is my favorite also. Yeah. Oh my God. What did you guys get? You want to go first this time, Andy? He's patient. No, I'll yeah. let you go first. Okay. okay. I've got the priest's deal. E would want all the knowledge, economics, sword fighting, to learn to read and write and all this stuff. And he tells the priest, but here's the counter. I'm helping you for two weeks instead of eight years. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. That'd be E's thing. <laughs> and he's all like, if you want more than two weeks work, uh, I'm going to need something else. So he, so he, all right. So yours is that he renegotiates the deal with the priest. Yeah. He's the not working priest. eight years. Nope. Oh, my God. Even though he's he, in he, prison for life. Yeah. He'd be like, I'm going to find, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos is great, 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 great grandpa and tell him to like start Amazon early so I can get the books to read the stuff I need to know. <laughs> Oh my god. What'd you get, Andy? That was an odd choice. I was not expecting that. For me, it's the mansion that he buys in Paris at the very beginning. Oh my god, that's mine. They paid a literal boatload. Like, they filled all these boats with treasure, right? And then he fills the back of this you know it's like a flatbed like and he yeah. put like they just load it up yep. they way overpaid for that 
that's why that guy like his jaw dropped and he you know was ready to give them everything including like his children and his wife can, I, they had can I just say something about that real quick that is like the quickest closing I've ever seen yeah I looked at it yeah and because they jump immediately to the shot of him leaving and yeah. everything and shaking Jacopo's hand they're wearing the same clothes <laughs> And it's still daylight. So it's like he made that decision in less than an hour and he was out of there. He must have gotten all his stuff, which I don't know how he transported all his stuff. Maybe part of the deal was don't take any stuff. Oh, yeah. Leave everything in there. So all those paintings. So it's not just his. it's not just the house. It's yeah. all your stuff. And don't ask questions. Yeah. But uh, my take is Edgar would have negotiated the price. He would have counted like, OK, let's see exactly how much this house is worth. <laughs> and then negotiated the price from there. Or just bought a, a different mansion, bought something more affordable in a different neighborhood. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, my pick was also the mansion, but it was more like, all right, let's just wait and see what the housing market looks like right now <laughs> yeah. in uh, in 1804, and uh, which way can it, it go through, from here? He's making sure he does not pay a gold coin over what at, that house is worth, at least what it's worth. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And he's probably going underneath. You know what I mean? So if it's like a million. Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, Edgar's shooting maybe like eight ninety five. And again, not that he doesn't want to pay because Edgar wants revenge in this in this. Uh, oh, does he still have the same motivation? Oh yeah, for, yeah. like he still wants to to buy the mansion, okay. but that, at the same time, it's that like might change his his uh, his standards a bit. Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> it's like like well, just wait a second, okay? You, you know your brother better than us. Yeah, he he's gonna want to get an inspection done first <laughs> in the mansion. Who's he getting for the inspection? Who's he getting? Yeah, from that movie. Who's he calling up? <laughs> Is it? Does it have to be a character that we know? Maybe, or he could just pick up a character from any movie. Oh my god, that's ridiculous! How much was to pick a character to do an yeah. inspection on a mansion? Yeah. Do you have someone in mind? I'm just gonna do random stuff like this. I'm gonna throw a character from the last podcast. I'm saying Quint comes by to do the inspection. Just what? takes a look around. Nice house you got here. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say the price is good. Oh Go ahead and God. buy it. Let me tell you, sharks be around here. <laughs> Those waters, not safe. You buy the mansion. You go in the mansion. Yeah. Dantes is in the mansion. <laughs> See, you're so much more clever than I am. Oh Look my at God. how you came up with that. No, I don't know. That All quickly. Right, let's move on. What right, about uh, what's Andy's vacation day? I'm going to get this to Andy right away. Uh, so the movie was filmed in both Malta and Ireland. Malta, south of Italy. So Italy wins. Malta. Mm. Specifically, if there was one shot from the movie, it would be that I would want to hang out at is where Edmund proposes to Mercedes. I think that'd be a cool shot. Hang out. That is nice. Good picks for the gram. Mm-hmm. I would pick that. Yeah. I, okay. pick, I picked uh, Edmond's Castle, assuming they have Wi-Fi. That's the only way Andy stays. <laughs> <laughs> It has it has to have Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah. No, and see, uh, the problem with castles, there's no uh, heating. It'd be very cold, and there are spiders. So <laughs> castles are out for me. Mm. I, I, I can't do castles. Dang. Okay. All right then. Yeah, because I was thinking that it was going to be the count's house, um, his mansion, and then Chateau Deef was my next pick. But after it's been purchased, okay, and repurposed into a vacation home, just just think of the location. You know, it's like it's practically its own private island. So, like, what, I turn into an Airbnb? Yes. It's Chateau Deef as an Airbnb. You're going to have tons of rooms, no restrooms, and, uh, and a great view. 
Yeah, but lots of people died in there. I'm going to say. There's like lots of blood. Like, how do you get the blood off the, the stone from all the whippings? Uh, and there's rats, too. I, I, I can't do it. I can't turn that around. I can't turn God. that property around, Brian. All right. What about, uh, what about Steven's I'm losing it moment of the movie? Okay. So, everybody uh, who's listening, this is going to be the moment of the movie where I'm literally grabbing onto something because I'm so excited. I'm so pumped. Yes. Something so awesome has just happened. Uh, so, I picked for this one uh, the line, you didn't think I'd make it that easy, did you? Oh, man. That That's was where so I was just good. like, yes, like, yes. Take that, B4. That was that was my because I also had that down, and then also was um, when Mondego in in the in the final scene shoots open a crate and he finds the chess piece in there mm. because it's just this moment where it's like it's gonna dawn on him what's going on and what's happening. I don't think though. This is just my opinion. I don't think he figured it out when he saw the chess piece. He was just confused. Because so much time has passed, maybe he didn't remember the significance of that. That's my thought, and here's why. Because when he uh, gets up, you would be like, as soon as he sees Edmond, he'd be like, Edmond, you know? Mm -hmm. But he doesn't. He goes, count, you know, like, what are you doing here? Something Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. he hasn't really fully put it together Mm. until uh, he comes into sight without the beard or the goatee. And then that's when he's just like... He puts it together, then. dude, and his acting in that scene, his face, yes, priceless. Yep. I love, I love it. I Amazing. love how he emotes it. Andy, what was your Stevens losing it moment? I didn't have one. You didn't have one. I didn't have one. No. Kay's scream out loud moment. I think these are always going to be inappropriate, right? <laughs> For me, it's when they're banging on the beach. I'm sorry, Kay. I'm sorry that we're doing this to you. Yeah, Kay just sees, you know, yeah. He sees that and he's like, "Woo!" <laughs> oh my god. Is is there not <sighs> No, I don't I don't have anything that's not uh, inappropriate. Do I have to edit mine out? No. No okay. you don't. We'll it's okay. It. Did you have something down for that? <laughs> I, I would I would edit yours out. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can't say banging on the beach and leave it in the podcast. Can we leave it in? B. I executive vote to leave decision. It. What's uh, how bad is it's, banging? I don't think banging is as bad. I could have said something way more bold. Ba- in fact, <laughs> I, 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 you, you, I had something a little stronger and I held back. You're gonna leave it in. You're gonna leave it in, I'll and you're gonna leave, leave this discussion in too, <laughs> okay. so that everyone can see what goes into the decisions we yeah, make. Yeah, guys. Sometimes we edit stuff out. Sometimes we don't. <laughs> All right. Wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> What's your what's your K what's your what's your K's scream no, out loud I moment? I intentionally didn't look for one because I'm like we're not going to include them. They're always going to be inappropriate. <laughs> so I said this category is going to have to change because we're not going to put them in. We're going to have to figure something out for this one. Like I could find a moment. It can I could be find, something else. I could find eleven moments in every movie where it's like, yeah, Caden would say something <laughs> inappropriate here. You know? Yeah. When he's in the prison with just priest and there's a bed, there's immediately a cot. It's like, hey, you know, I've been lonely. I've been here for 11 years already. Oh, gosh. This is worse than what I said. Yeah. That's why I didn't come up with one. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny, dude. Uh, all right. Okay. Bees. I'm oh, sorry. Yes, let's continue. Go. Bees vexed moment <clears throat> of the movie. All righty. So, 
I was I was uh, vexed with a couple of things. The first the first one <clears throat> that I wrote down is uh, how in the world does he still have that chess piece with him when he's getting arrested and and taken to Chateau Dieu? Because Fernand just drops it into his very loose fitting shirt that I don't even think is tucked in. How does that not just like fall straight to the ground? And then don't you get searched when you're getting into prison even yeah. in 18 in the 1800s? I would think so. Where's he hiding that thing? I don't know. He want, <laughs> somehow he made it work. So <laughs> so that's one of them. I think another one that I had was also like how is that little canoe carrying like 15 crates worth of solid gold and not sink and not sink. I mean I mean uh, Jacobo does make the comment that uh, the boat can hold no more. Yeah. So what? Isn't that the boat they got there in? There was another boat with them. So he he bought a boat. When he went, goes to see Morel, he tells him buy him a small buy a small boat. Yeah. Something that to you you and I can handle alone. Right? Yes. And so he buys it while he's going to see Morel. Right. And then they take that small boat to the yes. island of Monte Cristo. Yes. And then they load up that small boat. Yes. With a bunch of gold. And they make at least eight trips. Yeah, at, but... No, nine trips. Because we have at least eight more boatfuls. Well, yeah, and I do remember that. But uh, what I'm saying is, how is it that they're even able to, like, get in that boat? Because I remember seeing it, and it was packed. Yeah, they probably, like... He probably sat on top of all the treasure. <laughs> <laughs> with, like, a... How is he even going to reach the water with the oar sitting on all those... <laughs> on all those boxes. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Oh my god. Well, I, I think that you might have had something on this, Andy. There were timeline inaccuracies in this movie. I have a feeling uh, I'm not the only one who feels that way. What, so, what'd you get? how did this happen? So, he, uh, what's his name? Albert is celebrating his 16th birthday, right? Correct. Four <laughs> years didn't, or uh, three years did not elapse from when, from the beginning of the movie to when he. Uh, you know, impregnates her, right? It can't have been three years since that. What because he was in the Chateau d'If for thirteen years. Uh huh. Yes. Right. Yes. And it's what after the thirteen years, Albert should be thirteen, right? Not sixteen. Uh, yeah, but uh, and and that is true. I'm not disputing that. It's implied that uh, when Albert was conceived, it was right before that um, he was taken. To Chateau D. So remember, you got to uh, the night on the rocks. Mm-hmm. So you got to right. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. So you got to allow the nine months, right? The initial ones, and then you also have to remember that um, once he escaped, he spent time as a pirate. It does say three months later. Yeah. Whenever uh, he arrives in Marseille. At Marseille. Yeah. So yeah, that's only a few months from that point on. Yeah. And then there was another time skip that was a year. Where is it? At the very end of the movie. Really? Yeah. After he kills Fernand, it says one year later. Dang. Okay. So, so th- yeah, something's that, wrong there. Okay. Yeah. So I, I did the math on this, and I, I took my time, and I rewound, and I, I, I tried to get it right. So here's the timeline as I have it. August or September of 1815, uh, Edmund is sent to prison. Um, the book timeline is more clear and says that he's in prison much earlier in the year. February, I believe. But that doesn't fit with the movie timeline. Um, February would have been cold. We don't see anyone wearing jackets at the beginning of the movie. So it's clearly late spring or summer. Mm-hmm. So at that point, uh, he had just previously gotten engaged to uh, Mercedes. So she is now pregnant. 
in September of 1815, um, or late August. September, October of 1815 um, is when Morel had told Edmund that Mercedes wed one month after he was imprisoned. So if he was imprisoned in August of 1815, in September of 1815, she gets married um, to uh, Fernand. Fernand, uh-huh. The execution letter that Villefort sent to Mercedes is clearly dated September of 1815. So at that point, he'd already been in prison for around a month. Uh, okay, good catch. And that's when she married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by that timeline, in May or June of 1816, Albert would have been born, nine months after that. In all, Somewhere between August of 1816 to August of 1819, at some point between those three years, Edmund attempted suicide mm-hmm. in, in prison. In August of 1822... He met priest at the point where he'd been in there seven years. Mm-hmm. August of 1828, priest dies and Edmund escapes. Um, and that's a little confusing because priest told him that it would take them eight years to dig out. Um, and they see right before the cave in roots. And so priest says they're only a couple months away. But that would mean that they were over a year ahead of schedule. For that timeline to make sense. Oh wow! So okay. it, it's possible, but so three months later, uh, from when Edmund joins the pirates to when they arrive back in Marseille. So he escapes prison on the beach. Next day, he joins this band of pirates, and they tell us three months later when he arrives back in Marseille. So by the timeline of when Albert would have been born. It's May or June of 1832. So three plus years have to have passed where he's planning his revenge and amassing wealth um, before the 16th birthday party for the timeline to make sense. That's the big time gap where we aren't told. We just have to kind of do the math. Yeah. Because Mm. at the point where he was back in Marseille, Albert would have been only 13. And by any stretch of the imagination, he Mm. wouldn't have been old enough. Perfect. So three years and change passed before his 16th birthday, which is kind of like a disservice to the viewer. You really need to tell them that. It would have been nice for them to it put looks the three like years it's a later couple in. Weeks. Yeah, exactly. It looks like a couple weeks. Like in a couple weeks, he's put this plan He did in everything. Yeah, exactly. He has all this money. Like it apparently took a long time for him to amass all this wealth, put all these pieces in play. To exact his revenge. If yep. we could create the Andy edit, we find the exact moment where we could fade to black and then go to a black screen that says three years later and yeah. then continue the movie. That's the Andy edit? The Andy edit. Let's make <laughs> and it happen. Then, <laughs> fall of 1832 is a fight between Edmund and Fernand. Um, they're all wearing long coats, so you know that it's cold weather. It's been a couple months since the 16th birthday party. And then the final scene is winter the year after. So it's a year after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's more or less the timeline I came up with. That's pretty good. I like it, that, man. Thank that you for doing yeah. that. Yeah, that, that does help. It puts that it, into, it. Into, into perspective. That's awesome. The last thing I had that vexed me was, how in the world is that little piece of string on her finger still so pristine after 16 years? She's been cleaning it, man. There's no way. If you cleaned it, like really cleaned it, it would be worn out. And if you leave it alone... It would look like dirty as blam. So how is that? It's a fake. <laughs> Something that I was wondering about when I was watching it this time is uh, why Fernand turns around and goes back when he was already on his horse about to leave. 
you find out the answer, and it became clear to me, but it, it didn't hit me in the moment on the, on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. Basically, Edmond's just like, here, you have the upper hand, you know, you just shot Mercedes, and we're tending to her, and he gets on his horse, and he starts going away. And I'm like, okay, it shows Fernand's face, and then it cuts to the landscape. And then it goes back to Fernand's face, and then it cuts back to the landscape. Yeah. And then he starts to turn around. Mm-hmm. And I was, at first thought, I was just like, why did the director do that? Why is he showing us the landscape? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And they explain it a moment later, but I thought it was really nice. Uh, he goes back, and Edmund comes out to face him, and he's, and uh, Fernand says, I could never live in a world where you have everything and I have nothing. Mm-hmm. So what Fernand was seeing in the distance, <clears throat> in the landscape, was nothing. Nothingness, yep. There was nothing out there. That awaited for him. him. Right. And that is what caused him to say, no, mm-hmm. I'm not going that way. Mm-hmm. I'm going back, and I'm taking everything. So mm-hmm. I, I knew the answer... To, well, and he's he's not really taking everything. I, I, I no, view, I, he's still <laughs> he's still going to be poor. I view but. the answer as he has nowhere to go, meaning there's nothing for him because he has nowhere to go. He's, he's wanted. At least, he's he's at wanted. He's got to take what Edmond has. He's wanted for murder, and he has no money. He has no friends. So there's literally, it's like I, he can hide out and try to hide as long as he can. Eventually, the authorities are going to catch up to him. He's going to go to prison. Or be killed or whatever. So there's literally no reason. Like he's he just gonna kill to, Edmond. He that way Edmond there. can't have everything. Yeah, he just has to die there. Which is the story of the whole movie. Yeah, for none. Yeah, exactly. That's right. He's he's always been jealous not of what he has, but of how he views what he has. Mm-hmm. And how sad that Mercedes ended up becoming the next whistle. The very thing that she said, "I'm not gonna become." Oh, she does. That's yeah. true. She says it in the beginning. Yep. Jay's chef's kiss character, Albert. Albert, really? I put Henry Cavill, even as a teenager. Are you kidding? No. I honestly, I put Jim Caviezel uh, post Chateau Deef. Ah, Juana has a thing for the young look. That's a weird thing to yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> We're not editing that out. I'll leave that <laughs> oh in there. Oh my. That's fine. God. He'd be like, he's so cute. In fact, I think she did say that. Well, oh she wasn't watching God. it with me, but she stopped That's by. And, and she's the uh, Albert's the only one that she complimented. <laughs> uh, I got to correct you, though. It's it's not Albert. It's Albert. It's Albert. That's what I wanted to say. But you guys were all like, no, you got to say Edmund and Fernand. No, those, because that's how they say it in the yeah, movie. Yeah, that's how they say it in the movie. His name is they, Albert. It's no, Albert. In the movie, they say Edmond. It's Albert. And, no, they say Edmund constantly. That's how they say it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, did Iris have any I hate kids moment? Albert. He's the only kid. I'm I'm gonna my thinking is whenever he's asking to go to Rome, she would be yeah. like, that's annoying. Yeah. Where he just comes out to his friends and goes, Rome! <laughs> okay. So I had a couple so... I skipped over them. Uh. But uh, I had a couple issues with, you know, that, that whole scene. Like him getting kidnapped, there there's lots of flaws in that. I don't know if you guys caught it. When he comes down the stairs and he says Rome and you see his four friends, yeah. I swear there was a bald kid in one of those. <laughs> like he has no hair and I'm like, How old is that child that he's hanging out with a bunch of children? And he's bald. Oh you my can't, God. I, I paused, I rewound, and I'm like, I'm looking again, I'm like, yeah, it looks like he has no hair. Hey, this friend. Man. So I thought that was weird. <laughs> he was ahead of the time. <laughs> the bald look. Either yeah. that or, I mean, 1800s France was very stressful on kids, and they would lose their hair. All right. Next All right. one is, go for it. Nisa's, that's not funny, honey. I only had one that possibly uh, could have been here. 
when uh, Jacopo sees uh, Edmond on the on the floor, and he goes, "Mi madre, did that hurt?" <laughs> <laughs> I was I thought that's maybe one of those moments where she might be like, "That's not funny." Uh huh. Mine is. Uh, or Andy, do you want to go? I, I didn't have one. I didn't notice anything. Nothing stood out to me in the movie my, as a not funny. Mine was um, because whenever um, Jacopo comes into the room and Mercedes is in there um, still sleeping, I think it's kind of played as comedy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I think she'd be like, yeah, that's not funny. He shouldn't be going in <laughs> until she's like dressed and, you know, presentable. Well, how would he know? No, because he, he opened the door and then like saw and then was like, oh, whoop, and he kind of turns around, oh, okay, but then yeah. he still walks in. Yeah, um, but she clearly didn't care because she immediately gets up and starts running towards him. Right. And she even gives him like a kiss on the cheek or something yeah, like that, right? that's right. Yeah. She's so excited. <laughs> okay, what about uh, Sally's called it moment? Albert being a monson. Yeah. I bet she would have seen that a mile away. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's the answer. I think uh, in the first 30 seconds, she calls that uh, he gets betrayed. <laughs> because obviously this guy is shady. Yeah. But no, that's a, that's great. That's right. Okay. And then uh, what about Miji's style trial? Fernand has some good style in this movie. I think he's probably overall the best dressed or the coolest dressed. More than Edmund? I think so. I, Edmund has some, some outfits there that I'm just like, that's not cool looking. That's... That's too much. He goes a little overboard too, on some of those things. It's too extravagant. Yeah. What do you think? Fernand was a little bit more subdued while still looking really classy. Uh, okay. okay, so I had Fernand during the duel was wearing a very nice vest. Yeah, mm-hmm. when he killed that guy. By the way, what a, what a punk. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Albert was always very well dressed. Every scene Albert is in, he's well dressed. And then once he becomes a count, Edmond is very well dressed the whole rest of the way. That last look is probably the best, right? The Antonio Banderas look at the end. I think that's his best look. (laughs) Oh, at the very end. That's fun. The the fight in the field. I liked him clean shaven, by the way, over the goatee. Mm -hmm. I think that's he looked better that way. With the longer hair and the clean shaven look, it just it was it was cool. I'm surprised none of y'all said Mercedes. She didn't have good style. Yeah. I love her in this movie. Like I would I would Andy has a crush, clearly. I was going to say, I would be Fernand, and I would steal her. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. God. Steal her, Please don't. You're going to betray somebody to to make it happen? I, I would get, consider it. Get him thrown in, into prison? Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Okay, all right, then. All right, so that's pretty good. Let's wrap it up, fellas. Let's do it. So, uh, how about some last comments? What would you guys say as some, uh, as some final thoughts regarding The Count? So, you were asking, would I recommend this movie to other people? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes and no. Yes, but only to those that I truly feel would enjoy it. I'll give you an example. Um, There are people that I will recommend this to. Despite being a really good movie, they'll walk away from it and say, I didn't like it. Hmm. I know I can predict who those people are, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not even going to tell them. I I, I don't care if they watch it. Isn't this true for any movie, though? Um, Yeah, I guess you could say that. Okay. Uh, But this is a very particular one because it's one that... Uh, seems to to go along with that. My dad, for example, you give him a little synopsis of this movie and he'd be like, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. But then by the time he's done with it, he'd be like, yeah, I didn't like that. There was too much sadness in it. Hmm. And it's just like, but did you see how it ended? Yeah, but there was too much sadness. Or my mom would say something like that too. (laughs) 
And so it's just like, okay, now that I know that, I'm not even going to tell them. Even though I think that maybe there's a chance they'd like it, but I can already predict the outcome. Mm. So Okay. Okay, I gotcha. You have to recommend it to the right people. Okay. People that you have a strong feeling would enjoy it. What would you say, Andy? So for my last comments, I would say I love the movie uh fantastic one of my favorites it's in my top 20 favorite movies of all time not best favorite cool i want to share real quick some of my best uh my favorite scenes from the movie yes and one or two of my favorite lines so uh for me one of the best moments was when edmund gives albert's toast albert's toast mm-hmm. um not because of the toast itself which is still a very cool line that's the life is a storm uh speech that he mm-hmm. gives very like good that. speech but it's more so because edmund hates fernand at this point, he also hates Mercedes, and he wants them both to suffer. Yeah. He probably doesn't hate Albert, but he's indifferent to him. Um, he's willing to use him and put him in harm's way to achieve his goal of revenge. Yet deep down, he's still such a good person that immediately he recognizes that Fernand is not doing his fatherly duty of offering the toast at his son's birthday dinner. And to spare Albert the embarrassment and Mercedes the embarrassment, he offers the toast, and he lies telling everyone that he begged for the opportunity to give the toast. Mm-hmm. And to top it off, he gives a dang good toast. So he's there that night to advance his agenda of getting revenge and destroying that family, including Albert. Giving the toast does nothing to advance that agenda, yet he does it anyway, because deep down, he still cares for Mercedes, He's a great, and he's still a good person deep mm-hmm. down. So mm-hmm. great scene, great insight into the character in my opinion. Love that. Um, I also love that scene when Enman tells Jacopo he will kill him if he ever interferes with this plan again after Jacopo allows Mercedes into his carriage. Acting superb, dialogue top-notch, everything I love about it. I mm. loved the reveal, he's not your son. Albert Mon- Albert Mondego is the son of Edmund Dantes. Loved it. Um, as far as best lines, uh, I love when Jacopo tells him, take the money, take the woman, and live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I especially love that when Jacopo asks him why he can't do that, Edmund Edmond has no response. I made a note of that too. Yeah, um, I love it because he knows he has no good response. Yeah, yeah. I also love when Jacopo says, "Right, we killed these people, then we yes. spend the treasure." <laughs> and then Edmond says something. He's like, "Why not just kill them? I'll do it. I'll run to Paris. Bam, 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 bam. I'm back before week's end. We spend the treasure. How is this a bad plan?" I had that. And then Edmond's line is, death is too good for them. So I, I, I love that line. Yes. Um, and then my, my only other comment, worst line, when Edmond gets off the hot air balloon, looks at all his guests and says, greetings, I feel like it would have been more appropriate to go with a, hello there. I thought that would have been good. <laughs> Nod to a whole different franchise. <laughs> I will say uh, one of my, or two of my favorite lines are also at the party, at Albert's party. And it was whenever... Um, man, I keep getting these, these guys' names, but when Edmund um, is basically meeting, quote-unquote, Fernand and Mercedes, and whenever he says to Mercedes, because um, I have it written down, he says, I'm sure that within a month, you will not even remember my name. Yeah. Making reference to the fact that, obviously, she married... Within a month. Within yeah. a month. And then, immediately after, he says to Fernand, may I steal your wife? Yeah. Yeah. That's a level of sass that I was just like, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, so good. So, now that you say that, I got one more thing. My <laughs> f- single favorite portion of the movie that I'm actually going to rewatch this weekend because I, I think I love it so much. From the moment where he arrives for the dinner party and she kind of recognizes him to that, you know, are you a ghost here to torture me? Mm-hmm. To when she goes in the carriage and she knows that it's him, but he denies it. 
to the point where they are at his mansion again and she confronts him because like i know it's you i didn't mention the name dantes that whole stretch is so fantastic i love her acting i love his acting mm-hmm. i love the the character development i love all that that for me is the best part of the movie Always. Nice, nice. I love that whole stretch of like 12, 15 minutes of movie. I like it. Great. I feel like in every podcast that we do, I'm going to have an obligatory sports reference. So I've got one here. <laughs> when Jacopo says, I swear on my dead relatives, even the ones that aren't feeling too good, I am your <laughs> man forever. That's what I said to LeBron when he came back and beat the Warriors oh in 2016. Oh my God. Are you serious? <laughs> I am your man forever. <laughs> I'm okay. sure LeBron appreciates yeah. that. I had always complained, remember, B, about the, the third act being rushed in this movie. Um, he doesn't become a count until there's only 45 minutes left to the movie. Mm. He doesn't actually start getting revenge until there's only 25 minutes left in the movie. Wow. So it's rushed. Mm-hmm. It's rushed. Um, if I, I wrote this down before this. If you were to do this again today, I can see this being a miniseries first. That's probably the first thing they'd want to do. But if they were like, no, we're going to make it a movie, it's a two-parter. It's Count of Monte Cristo Part 1 and Part 2. No, and it comes out no, one no year way. and then the next year. I don't see that no, way. I can There's, see it happening. Because because be and a, I would like it that, more because, no, get, because then you can no, have the first movie that's is a disaster. so sad. That's a disaster. That nobody wants to come back for the sequel. Exactly. Huh? Hey, if, you you read, if, you part one, if you've read the book, you're coming back. Part, I'm coming back. Part 1 would be a disaster. Because not only would only people who know the story go watch it. To begin with, it seems like this was a hotter take than the other stuff. They I are said. not going to go back and watch it again. I'm watching. I'm watching them. I'm just saying that's no, going to be the I, steepest drop off in box office history. If they from redo one it, to the other. they add 30 minutes because Mac not, Van two hours was an investment in a movie. Yeah. Now that's nothing. That's the blink of an eye. You know, Avatar's three hours. Endgame is three hours. All these Marvel movies are two and a half yeah. hours. You add 30 minutes onto it, you can stretch I'll, it out a little bit I'll, more. You can do I'll, it. I'll take 30 minutes, but I'll also take a part one and part two. And that's all I'm going to say. No. Oh, yeah, that's that, wrong. That's a bad take. That's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the shot where Fernand reveals himself as Clarion's murderer reminded me so much of Jack Nicholson as Jack Napier in Batman with the hat and everything. I see it. Where he uh, goes, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Yeah. Like, it, it was the same thing for me. I was just like, wow, that's cool. Yep. Who knows if maybe he liked that shot and said, I'm going to do something like that. <laughs> um, when he says, don't rob me of my hate, let it go, Edmond, uh, Mercedes ends up being the third person to try to get him to stop the whole revenge plot. The first was the priest, then Jacopo, and then Mercedes. And so, um, clearly God is a part of this movie. That's and a big theme. Yeah, I'm yeah. wondering if the director is religious, uh, or maybe the writer is somebody involved in it, one to two, and it's almost like they're saying that God is acting in those three characters to try to get him to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and he doesn't. And, it's at the, and he loses his faith throughout you know the middle part of it and at the end he believes in god again he recovers it yeah it makes me think that you know that's not an accident like no no it's very intentional so quick 60 second tangent now that you say that because that's a really interesting thing that we probably should have talked about so it, it you know the whole movie is you know god's present and god will give me justice god will give me justice isn't it through his actions of getting revenge that God gives him justice and that's why that's the last thing that we see we yes. see the words in yes. the prison God will give me justice that's what it's implying that's what it's implying yeah so it kind of implies that these people are telling him to stop but then also he got his justice at the end and that was because he pursued it 
and that's um, that's and getting part, revenge. That's part of my issue with it too, because it, it's it like I said, it's trying to have its cake and eat it too. You can't have a story that everything turns out fine because he's vengeful, uh, and at the same time try to push the narrative that vengeance isn't good. It's one or the other, mm-hmm. and so by the end, the movie is sending mixed messages, and they try to salvage it with the line where he says, "From now on, everything that I've I have." And everything that you've given me is going to be for good yeah. and not vengeance anymore. That's easy to say when you've already exacted your vengeance, your yeah, revenge. That's true. Yeah. that's true. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's an issue that the movie has. But, I mean, that's fair. And very last thing I'm going to mention, um, it's just the end of the movie. I really like this. Uh, and Mom says, I bought this place thinking one day I'd tear it down. But now the only things I care about are walking off this island with me. Let's go home. Mm. beautiful beautiful ending yeah that's nice but can he get a refund because why did he buy it then i guess just to make sure no one else gets imprisoned well so that 200 years later he could sell it to me to turn it into an airbnb (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna turn it into the first airbnb yeah (laughs) oh man okay well guys always a lot of fun i love these and um yeah stay tuned for what we have next the next one's gonna be a good one promise One of my favorites. Guaranteed. All right, guys. And...